I don't know about you, but I get stuffy wearing a mask for long periods of time. I'm reminded of, uh, or I, some, one of you reminded me this morning of what uh, Governor Polis said in an interview this past week. He said, uh, I can't wait until the forest fires are done and we don't have to wear our masks anymore. Then I'm going to have a bonfire and burn all my masks. <laughs> um, so something for all of us to look forward to. Um, and I think as Christians, we kind of always live somewhere in the tension between uh, what's coming, what we know is coming, and uh, what is here, what will be, and, and uh, what, is, what is true. And so we've, we've seen, in, in, as we've gone through the book of Ephesians, we've seen some of that tension, some of the instructions that the Apostle Paul has for God's people as they navigate that tension in a very different time, in a very different place. And uh, if you remember a few weeks ago, uh, over the last two weeks, rather, when, as we looked at chapter 5 of Ephesians, we saw Paul's call to live, or live following the example of God. And then both last week and today, we're going to see some of the practical outworkings of what that means. And so last week, we looked at uh, the relationship of marriage specifically, and as Paul covered that at the last part of Ephesians chapter 5. We talked about how uh, marriage can be, Christian marriage can be a gift and a blessing, and God's design for marriage can be a gift and a blessing, not only to married people, but to also to uh, the rest of the church, the Christian community, and to the world. And so this morning, we're going to look at uh, power. We've already mentioned power a few times in the service, but uh, as we look at this, the first nine verses of Ephesians chapter 6, we're going to see the power dynamics at work both in uh, parent-child relationships and also in slave and master relationships. And as we read through this, and as I preach, I just encourage you to, to wonder what God is saying to you in this. Many of us are not parents. Maybe we don't think of ourselves as still as children, and none of us are, are, are slaves or masters. And so uh, just wonder with me this morning, what, what's God saying to you? What's he saying to us in this? So please pray with me a moment. We'll ask a blessing on the reading and the proclamation of God's word. Father God, as you have met with us here this morning already through song, we ask that you would open our hearts, open our ears to hear your word as we read it and as uh, the sermon as I preach it. God, may everything that is of you just stick to our hearts and anything that is not uh, just fall away. And Father, as always, give us hands and feet and mouths to uh, not just understand, but to follow your example and to be obedient to children. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, uh, following on this practical advice for life, following the example of Jesus, Paul says, children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment, with a promise which is so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear, with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, 
but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people, because you know that the Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do, whether they are slave or free. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them since you know that he who, he who is both their master and yours, he is in heaven and there is no favoritism with him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I find that whenever, whenever I talk about power, whenever we talk about power, we, uh, some of us at least, tend to get uncomfortable. And uh, we, we tend to have two main objections when we talk about the gospel and power. The first objection is that God doesn't really seem to care about the abuse of power. And people who use that objection, God doesn't really care about the abuse of power. People who, who have that objection look at any number of situations in our world and say, well, well why, is, why is this the way it is? Why is that the way it is? If God cared, wouldn't it be different? And they look at passages like this one and several others in the New Testament and they ask, well, if God cared so much about power, then why wouldn't he, why wouldn't Paul be telling the slaves that they shouldn't be slaves, that they should have an uprising, that they should stop being slaves, that everyone should be treated, that everyone should be equal? Part of the response to that, I think, part of my response, and, and I hope part of Scripture's response, is that I think it's true that the first priority of Scripture is not to overturn political or economic or social structures. The first priority of Scripture is not to overturn human structures, the way we organize our, our politics, our money, uh, our society. After all, every structure in our world is broken. People are sinful. The things that we create are, are touched and, and, and broken by this, not only our sin, but the sinfulness and the brokenness of our world. And so while we might argue that some systems are better than others, or some politics or policies are better than others, God's plan is not first to overturn one political or economic system in favor of another. God's plan, instead, the priority of God and the priority of the kingdom of God is to bring the presence and the power of the king to earth. That's really what God is all about, what he has been doing all, since the beginning since, and since the fall. Bringing the power and the presence of the kingdom of God and of God as king to bear on earth. And so when we talk about the church or when we talk about our mission as God's people, when we talk about the kingdom of God, what we're talking about is making earth look a little more like heaven. And we've used that word shalom in weeks past, in months past, in years past, because shalom is... is could be summarized in, in English as universal flourishing, everyone and everything in right relationship with everyone else. And there's no human system that builds shalom. Instead, the only way that shalom comes is when together we recognize God as king. 
The priority of the kingdom of God is to make earth look like heaven. And as God's people, we have the privilege and we also have the opportunity to join God in that kingdom work. He doesn't just go about his work by himself, but actually invites us in our brokenness, in our sin, and in the midst of our sinful world to join him in the work of redemption and renewal and restoration that he is doing. So it's not that God doesn't care about power abuse. It's simply that power, the use of power, and the abuse of power both fall under God's larger goal of making earth look like heaven. And so if we want to join God in that, we need to ask how. If God is about the business of making earth look like heaven, if God is building his kingdom, bringing the power of the king to bear on earth, then how are we supposed to join him in that? This still seems like an abstract thing. And especially how are we to join him in that when uh, we consider the second objection. And I think most of our, uh, probably many of us feel this second objection, which is that, well, God might care about power, but I don't have any power. I don't have much that I can do or say. My sphere of influence is very small. The things that God has given me is so little compared to what he's given other people. Presidents and prime ministers and politicians and millionaires and billionaires. I don't have any power. So it really doesn't matter all that much. And that's, I think, why I asked that question before the sermon. Where do you see yourself as we read this text? What part of this is for you? Do you think of yourselves when we read through the first nine verses of Ephesians? Ephesians 6, do you think of yourself as a, as a parent or a child? Probably few of us think of ourselves as children still, even though many of us still have parents. But probably very few of us think of ourselves as either a master or a slave. How we see ourselves, whether we're saying, I have no power at all, or, or whether we're saying something else, how we see ourselves is very important and integral to the, to the role which we're willing to play and the, um, the, the amount of obedience we're willing to, uh, to step into as we follow Jesus. This is why John Calvin, at the start of his Institutes on the Christian Religion, his first chapter, first book, first chapter, first paragraph, is all about the knowledge of God and knowledge of self together. John Calvin says, this is just a paraphrase, because the literal translation is pretty impenetrable. But uh, John Calvin essentially says, unless we know God, we'll never get to know ourselves. And unless we really do the hard work of knowing and understanding ourselves, we'll never truly know God. That both of these things work together. And so it's important that we have an accurate picture of who we are and the things that God has given us, the the power he's given us, and, and among other things that he's given us, so that we can rightly respond to, to be obedient, to be faithful with what God has given us, and so that we can also enjoy the blessings that, he, or that uh, Ephesians talks about and also that we talked about 
uh, in the other passages that we read as part of our sermon or as part of our service this morning. So in response to that objection, the objection that says, well, I don't really have any power, I want to remind us, even as we're looking at this text in Ephesians, I want to remind us of another of Jesus' parables in Matthew, the parable of the talents. Probably all of you have heard this story, and maybe you've heard it applied to uh, talents and gifts and those kind of things, but in the first century, a talent was a, was a unit of weight, and it was a, a measure, and so it was the, um, the, you'd get paid in pounds, not in dollars. And so uh, there's a man, a master, right? And we're talking about power. We're talking about masters and servants or masters and slaves. And so there's a master who goes on a long journey. And uh, he says, when I return, I want to see, servants, what you've done with what I've given you. And he gives one servant five talents. He gives another servant three talents. He gives the third servant one talent. He's gone for a very long time, and then he returns. And the, the first servant, he says, what have you done with the five talents that I gave you? And he says, Master, I invested them. I worked very hard, and I took your five talents, and I earned you five more. So here's ten back. And the master says, well done. Good job, servant. And, and likewise, the, the one with three says, Master, you gave me three talents. I, I invested it. I turned it into six. And here are, here are your six. And likewise, the Lord says, well done. And then, now I'm quoting from Matthew 25, Then a man who had received the one talent came. Master, he said, I knew that you were a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown, gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid. I went out and I hid your talent in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. And his master said to him, You wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I planted or that I reap where I didn't plant, that, that I harvested where I did not sow. You could have at least taken that one talent, put it in the bank, and had a, just a little bit of interest. But instead you bury it in the ground. And so then he says to his other servants, take the talent away from him, give it to the one who has ten. For I tell you that uh, to he who has much, much will be given. And to the one who has little, even what he has will be taken away from him. We need to be careful when we think of ourselves as people who have little. Because if we live as people who have little, Jesus says that even what we have will be taken away from us. Because the truth of the gospel is that God has not left his people with little. God has given us much. And it might well be that when we compare ourselves to politicians, when we compare ourselves to millionaires and billionaires, that we walk away feeling rather sad about ourselves. Maybe even closer to home when we compare ourselves to bigger churches, when we compare ourselves to uh, other Christians who are doing things, we think, oh, God hasn't given me that. He hasn't given us that. And so we take the little that he has given to us, the little power, the little position, and we bury it in the ground and we figure we'll dig it up when God comes back. We need to be careful that we understand who we are and the the wonderful and amazing power that God has given us. 
to quote, uh, silly but apt here, to quote the Spider-Man movie, right? With much power comes much responsibility. There's, there's truth in that. There's biblical truth in that. And so God says to parents, to fathers, right? Do not misuse your power. Don't exasperate your children. In other words, don't use your power as, as a way to, to make others miserable. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. These things are opposites. Right? Either we use our power to bring others up in the training and instruction of the Lord, or we use our power to exasperate others. We can't have it both ways. Honoring God and understanding power dynamics under, and using well what we have, that honors God. This is why Paul says to slaves and to masters, people that, who, whose social and economic situation we can hardly understand today. He says, serve your master, or masters love your slaves. Serve your master, in verse 7, as if you were serving the Lord. And we know as Christians, living in 2020, we know that we don't have to pretend, Right? That whether you're employed or unemployed, whether you're still in school or retired, all of us have the same master who is the Lord. And so as we go about our lives and as we go about our work, we don't have to pretend and say, well, I'm just going to do this as if I were serving the Lord. We can actually say, I'm doing this and I'm doing it to the best of my abilities because I'm serving the Lord. Because I'm trying to organize my life and orient my time, my energy, my money, the power and the privilege that God has given me to use it in such a way that it brings glory to him, that it furthers his kingdom, so that because of me, and more than that, because of the Holy Spirit in me, earth becomes a little more like heaven. That I join God in the work of redemption, and renewal, and restoration that he's doing. We get the responsibility, yes, but we also get the joy of joining Jesus in his redeeming work, in his kingdom work. We get to love our friends and our enemies. We get to serve our family and serve strangers. Most importantly, as God's children, part of his family, and as we talked about last week, part of God's family business, we receive the pleasure and the blessings of our master. It's no small thing to bask in the pleasure of God. So often we chase after other things. Impress a boss, impress a friend, try and earn ourselves just a little more say or a little more power here or there. But it's no small thing to bask in the pleasure of God. In fact, it's what we were made to do. That's, that's at the heart of who we are. And that's at the heart of Paul's letter to the Ephesians, even here in chapter 6 as he talks about fathers and children 
as he talks about masters and slaves. Remember that both other people's master and yours is in heaven. And there is no partiality with him. He treats all of us the same. So as we go into this week, I believe we can all go humbled. Humbled because God has invited you, whether you have much or whether you feel like you've got almost nothing, he's invited you to join him in his kingdom work. Jesus, I'm going to end with these words from John chapter 13. We read uh, verses 1 to 5 earlier in the service, and as we prepare for communion in just a moment, I want to read verses 15 to 17. Jesus has invited us to see God as our master, which makes all of us slaves or servants. Not servants who have nothing, but servants who get to share in their master's wealth in his blessings and in his pleasure. So Jesus says to his disciples, I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. What has Jesus done for you? I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. But now that you know these things, Now that you know that I have set you an example that you should do as I have done, now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. That we do what God calls us to do and we seek the blessings that God desires to bless us with. One of those, the greatest of those, is union with him participation with God, with Jesus, through the Holy Spirit. And we're going to celebrate that in just a moment. So please bow your heads and join me in a word of prayer. Father God, we come to you this morning. Some of us perhaps feel great and powerful, but I suspect even as uh, our world continues to be transformed and changed in strange and unfamiliar ways by COVID and by everything else. Lord, I suspect many of us feel powerless. God, remind us of the good news that you have not left us with nothing. You've not left us empty. You've not left us without power. But rather, everything we have is a trust from you that you not only call us to be obedient, but that you partner with us in our obedience so that even our broken attempts at obedience please you. God, we pray this morning that you would prepare our hearts to be united with you once again. That through the eating of the bread, the drinking from the cup, that we would share once again in that spiritual and mystical union with Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.